G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, Culture and Current Events from a Biblical Perspective, 2020 on Vision. Well, as you're aware, late last week, the UK woke up to the news that the vote was 52 to 48% in the Brexit referendum, meaning that the UK is leaving the European Union. And while we've heard a lot of things said about the Brexit in the headlines and there are all sorts of fallouts that are happening economically and between those who wanted to remain and those who wanted to leave from the UK, there are some significant things to think about from a Christian and biblical position. Let's get some insights. Dr. Camille Majdali is a commentator on things that happen around the world from a Christian perspective. His ministry is called Teach All Nations. He's recently back from the UK and has his finger on the pulse as to the mood in the UK. And he's joining us now. Hello, Camille. Welcome back to 2020. Pleasure, Neil. Good to hear you again. Camille, just how significant an earthquake is it that the UK will be leaving the European Union? What are your thoughts on uh, the significance of the break? Well, this break, and by the way, they have several acronyms. One is Remain Camp, which they called because they're British, Remain. The other is called Brexit, the British exit from the EU. And apparently there's now a third one, Regret, meaning some people who voted one way regret now and want to have another referendum. To answer your question, it is a massively important step that has happened. In fact, as some have said rightly, the vote they cast on the 23rd of June 2016 was the most important vote they ever cast in their entire lifetime. The reason is that when you normally cast a vote in a national election, you get a certain party in power, and if you don't like them, you have a chance to get them out of office afterward. In other words, it is technically reversible. But Brexit, as it's now popularly called, is really irreversible. The mechanism is already starting to kick into place, and Britain has made a very, very profound decision that doesn't just impact them. It impacts Europe, and I guess by extension, the rest of the world. So what happened this was very significant. And may I add, it was the underdogs here, the Brexit camp that prevailed because they only had four months to build their case to the electorate. And they did not have the support that the Bremain camp, they had, they had all the major parties in Bremain. They had all the major big businesses. They had the bankers, they had the billionaires, they had the globalists, they had all these people on side in the Remain camp, but nevertheless, Brexit still came out on top. Camille, almost all of the commentary you hear about the Brexit 
uh, is economic. It's about relationship between the UK and the European Union. As you look deeper under the surface uh, of beyond the economics of it all, what were the reasons that caused those voters in the UK to vote to exit the EU? Well, Neil, I wrote a blog, as you know, and you've seen it, about this very issue. Several reasons. The first reason had to do with economics. There was a very catchy slogan put on buses that were driven around England. The slogan was, we send 350 million pounds a week to the EU. Wouldn't, you know, wouldn't it be better to use that money to build an NHS National Health Service hospital, claiming that every week they sent to the EU this amount of money that could have built a new hospital every week in Britain. I'm telling you, that really caught people's attention, especially because Britain got less than half of what they put in back to them. In other words, Britain sent a whole cake, and maybe they got a third of a slice back and had absolutely no say how the money was spent. So that was the first reason. The second reason had to do with immigration, which is interesting because immigration, according to the polls, was the biggest issue in the mind of so many of the electorate. But the leave camp, which is called Brexit, the Brexit campaigners didn't even want to touch immigration for fear they would be called racist and bigots and things like that. But as it turned out, immigration came to the fore for various reasons, like Orlando shooting and you know, whatever else uh, is going on in the world in that, in that field. So immigration was part of it. In other words, uncontrolled immigration or immigration where it's the wrong kind of people are coming in. That was on their mind. Another issue was sovereignty. Is Britain going to be controlled by its elected representatives, or is Britain going to be controlled by EU commissioners and by bureaucrats in Brussels? That also weighed heavily on the minds of those pushing for the Brexit position. And then ultimately, Neil, it has to do with national image. Now, of course, that didn't come out so much uh, overtly in the campaign, but really it almost boils down to two camps. One camp says, look, Britain, your glory days are over. Shame on you. You know, you have colonial past and just stay in your box and be a little island off the coast of Europe. And that's that's your future. And we'll take care of you. You just send your dues in. That That is one extreme image. But there's another image. And the image is this, that Britain has had an outsized contribution to the world whether it's the English language, industrial revolution, a common law, uh, sport, uh, literature, so many things, as I listed in the blog, that have come out of Britain. And rather than just sending it as if it was in an old folks' home, ready to die off, it's time that Britain stands on its feet again and exercises the leadership in a positive way, of course, that it always has done, or at least was potentially able to do through the past. So what kind of Britain did they want in the future? A lackey to the EU or one that takes its rightful place in leadership? That actually, in my opinion, was the subconscious issue in the mind. So recap, Neil, 
the economy, immigration, sovereignty, and national identity and image. Camille, let me ask you about spiritual ramifications for this decision, because when we think of the UK, the long English history of Christianity, the forces that are at work in Europe, secularism, and uh, indeed the immigration uh, issues that are happening up into uh, European nations, are there spiritual ramifications to uh, the Brexit? Well, there could potentially be big spiritual ramifications. Time will tell, but I do believe it is possible. What people don't understand with the European Union is that it came out of the Second World War. It evolved from a common market to a European economic community and then to the European Union 1993. It evolved. The movers and shakers of this post-Second World War movement called the EU, in their minds, they said, look, we've had two dreadful world wars on European soil. No thank you. Nationalism is the reason we had these wars. So let's form a union and perhaps create a pan-European identity and nation so that basically we can prosper together and have peace together. In other words, it's like a utopia. But unfortunately, like all the other utopias that have gone before, communism, fascism, Nazism, these are all utopian. They all want a perfect world, but they want it on their terms, and they want it without God. Now, every time you want this perfect world on your terms and nothing to do with the living God, you will always get the opposite. You'll get abuse, tyranny, genocide, war, and all the rest of it. Unfortunately, it appears that the European Union is heading down that same path. Now, of course, nothing they're nothing like the Nazis and the communists of old in terms of they have semblance of reasonableness and democracy, semblance thereof. The interesting thing, though, is apart from wanting this United States of Europe, which they never put it that way, they say it made it sound like they just wanted a free trade zone in Europe, but it really was always more than that, is also there that they're supposedly meant to be secular, but really they are anti-Christian, not officially, but the fact is the movers and shakers are in denial that Christianity had anything to do with European identity, which is ludicrous. Neil, if Christianity had nothing to do with European identity, why are there cathedrals all over the continent? The, why did we have the exporting of Christianity in mass to the rest of the world? And of course, it came out of Europe, particularly out of Britain, but not only Britain. And, and so many other things that have marked European history and heritage for its centuries. Well, they were in denial that Christianity anything to do. But instead of just saying purely being secular and, you know, celebrate pluralism and, and freedom of religion, they actually seem to be repaganizing in the sense they've gone back to Europa, the goddess, Greek goddess that Europe has derived its name from, and Europa rides Zeus, the beast. And this imagery of Europa, I mean, you could say it's cultural, but why is it on stamps and on Euro coins, Euro, Europa ride the beast, and also statues in front of prominent EU buildings? Is it just celebrating their Greek and Roman uh, heritage, or is there something more behind it? 
And not to mention, of course, that Berlin, which is considered the de facto capital of Europe, Brussels is the headquarters of the EU, but Berlin is, of course, the capital of the most powerful country in the EU. And they have, in a sense, repaganized with some of the artifacts from Babylon and Smyrna, including the seat of Satan from Smyrna and the Ishtar Gate of Babylon. Again, people might think, well, there's nothing to them. They're just archaeological remains. But it's very uncanny, some of the spiritual activity coming out of Berlin, when some of those things were positioned. The seat of Satan, of course, is mentioned in Revelation 2. And, of course, in Revelation 17:3, John saw the woman riding the beast. Now, Maybe it's a coincidence, but Europa's doing exactly that. Therefore, there's concerned voices, especially in Britain, from church people. Not all the church, but, but some of the church, Bible-believing Christians. And they have been praying and fasting to get out of the EU. And this is part of the reason. It's not the only reason, but this is part of the reason, because of the spiritual influence that's been coming out. So for something that's meant to be purely secular... It hasn't been as secular as they lead you to believe, and something that's meant to be democratic. The EU actually doesn't make laws in the EU Parliament. It makes it through the uh, EU Commission, I believe it's what it's called. 28 unelected, how should you call them, Eurocrats, they make the laws, and the Parliament merely ratifies it. This EU Parliament it has less power than the British House of Lords. So what we see in the EU is not exactly what we're getting, and concerned Christians in Britain have been doing a lot of concerted spiritual activity, praying and fasting. In other words, they voted in the heavenlies before they voted at the ballot box. Camille, the Brexit will be seen as an historical event of the 21st century. As people look back on what's happened, and of course there's uh, lots of turmoil and lots of process to work through in order to bring back some stability, and perhaps they'll go through all sorts of uh, financial earthquakes and uh, even uh, the possibilities of recessions and things that people have been talking about, but do you think... Uh, talking through these spiritual ramifications, the separation from what might be happening with a repaganization in Europe, that somehow or other there might be something of a Christian identity that Britain may well be able to hold on to uh, in the years to come that might separate them from some of those things? Well, I've discovered, for my many visits to the UK, that despite the images of Britain being secular or having well-known militant atheists, you know, like Richard Dawkins, who I don't think we'll be hearing from much anymore, or the late Christopher Hitchens. And I mean, these are very brilliant people, naturally, but, you know, they, they got a platform, you know. Despite all that, there is very, very strong Christian underpinnings. A agnostic Jewish journalist, Melanie Phillips, she said in a book she wrote not long ago, and she, she's, you know, UK-based, and she's basically saying that despite all the secularism and anti-Christian stuff, by and large, people still have some regard for the church, even if they're not in it, and some regard for the clergy, despite scandals or what have you. So there is something in Britain where they still they still have it, you know, as far as the church is concerned. They do need to do some homework, of course, but the prayers and, shall we say, the labors of faithful Christians in the past God has not forgotten, and I believe that 
faithful remnant, if I dare use that term, are there even to this day. So that if Britain can have a revival, and remember, Britain's not a stranger to revival. It had Wesleyan revival, it had the Welsh revival, and the point is, if that can be stirred up again, then Britain really will take its leadership place afresh in a world that's increasingly getting dark. Well, Camille Magdaly, always so good getting your insights. I'll point people to Teach All Nations. Simply Google Teach All Nations and you'll be able to access Camille's blog on the Brexit and on many other topics that deal with world affairs. It's great getting your insights, Camille. We are in the middle of a reprise to our Visionathon, and I wondered whether you might have a, a special word of encouragement to listeners, uh, perhaps to be generous as we try to make up, which was a little bit of a shortfall to our Visionathon just a short while ago. Uh, what would your word be to uh, to listeners to support this ministry? Well, sure. To vision listeners, may I encourage you, as one that has a part to play in the programming here with Faith in the Future with Neil, can I just say that what Vision is doing is of inestimable value. In fact, it's priceless, because they're giving the Word of God, and in places that don't even readily have access to the Word of God. I've seen it firsthand in our Understanding the Times tour, where people are coming out of the woodwork in regional and rural areas, wanting to be fed the Word of God, wanting insight about the future, and and so on. Anything you invest will be not just well used, but, again, of eternal value. If you appreciate what you're getting on vision, then take a moment and and make a donation, because what happens is not only will bless others, but of course God will bless you. He never, ever can outgive the Lord. Camille Magdaly, great getting your encouragement. I'll point listeners to our website at vision.org.au to make a secure online donation, or you can pick up the phone and call one of our telephone answerers on 1-800-316-316 to make your Visionathon donation. Camille, thanks so much for being with us. Uh, God's richest blessing on you in the days ahead. Thank you, Neil, and God bless you too. Before you go, thanks for listening. There's lots more great audio on demand, or you can listen to us live at visionradio.org.au. And remember, Vision is listener-supported. Your donation, large or small, will help us continue connecting faith to life for hundreds of thousands of people across Australia and around the world. Learn more or donate today at visionradio.org.au.